This is Raider Nation Radio 920, Unnecessary Roughness. Live from the Underground Lounge at the Oyo Hotel and Casino. Snap, play action to Jacob. Fake reverse to Hollis. Carr, looking downfield. Devontae's wide open at the two. Grabs it. Touchdown, Raiders. The defender had fallen down, and Devontae Adams has his second touchdown grab of the half. 17-0 lead early in the second quarter after staying in Sarasota and getting all of that and thinking, all right, that's the season changer. Instead, they fall here in Jacksonville, 27-20 to the Jaguars. This is Unnecessary Roughness. Here's your boy Q. Head coach Josh McDaniel said it was a tale of two halves. That intro right there was a tale of two intros. The beginning, fantastic. The end, not so much. But this is Unnecessary Roughness on Radio Nation Radio 920. We are at the Underground Lounge inside the Oyo Hotel and Casino. We're here every single Monday night for Monday Night Football. Joining us now on the phone lines from Fox 13 in Seattle, also Sports Radio KJR, is our good friend Curtis Crabtree. And, Curtis, thanks so much for your time this afternoon. Wanted to have you on to talk about Sidney Jones. And I know you've been in the Seattle area covering sports for a long time. I remember Sidney Jones when he was at UW, when he was there part of the Washington Huskies that went to the college football playoffs. Obviously, Sidney Jones is not that guy anymore after tearing his Achilles at his pro day. But, man, how good was Sidney Jones when he was still in college? He was very good, and I was actually at his pro day when what, oh. that day when he did pop his Achilles. I saw it happen across the field, so that was a very interesting day to be over there for yeah. that. But yeah, he, they had a terrific secondary role for UW in, in the past many years, like with him and Kevin King and Buda Baker and Byron Murphy, and there's a, there's a number of guys that they put in the NFL, Taylor Rapp, that have been fantastic players in the back end of their secondary through the last several years. Sidney Jones was one of them, and the Achilles was the first of a number of injuries that he's fought through in his career that's kind of kept him from truly realizing his potential at the NFL level. But um, And he just ended up kind of losing out on a numbers battle here in Seattle this time around. He played really good football for them a year ago. But, um, yeah, he's probably not quite the same talent you saw that, that led to a, being a first-round prospect, ultimately second-round pick coming out of college here at Washington and has kind of bounced around the league now since uh, he, he was drafted by Philadelphia. Yeah, it's unfortunate because, again, he was fantastic when he was at Washington, as you very well know. But uh, as far as I understand, uh, he had a concussion earlier this year, and then he basically lost his spot to the young dudes led by Tariq Woolen, who's been a fantastic rookie. Uh, is that basically how it went down in Seattle with uh, Sidney Jones? Yeah, the concussion. He, he came into training camp as the starter on the left side with Artie Burns as the starter on the right side. Both of those guys got hurt in camp. Sidney had a concussion. Artie Burns uh, tweaked his groin. And the time that they both spent out led to Michael Jackson taking the job on the left side and running with it, and Tariq Woolen taking the job on the right side and running with it, and neither of them have given it back because they've played so well. Um, Seattle did work to get Sidney Jones some rotation time in at left corner with Michael Jackson here over the previous mm, three, four weeks, um, but they just kind of got to a glut of cornerbacks on the roster to where they've got Isaiah Dunn, who's working back from a hamstring injury on injured reserve. Trey Brown, who started games for them last year, who they really liked in the limited times they saw him before he tore, tore up a tendon. He's coming back off the PUP list in the next couple of weeks here. They've got a guy in Xavier Crawford on the practice squad who they can elevate and have elevated a few times this year to give them some additional depth as well to where Sydney took there was nowhere left for him, and they ran out of roster spots, and so I think it was somewhat letting him go get another opportunity to play because he is a solid quarterback, cornerback in the NFL. 
Talking right now with Curtis Crabtree, talking all things Sidney Jones as the Raiders have signed him today after his physical. So what would you say from his time in Seattle he does really well? He really works well in the scheme that he played at Washington and that Seattle runs and knows how to work in that sort of a defensive scheme. He got really he was pretty sticky in coverage a year ago when he took over that job on the left side for them. He started uh, 10 games or so I think uh, on on the left side for them last season. He I mean he's still a competent NFL cornerback. I right. thought he was going to come in and he in training camp before he had that concussion, he looked really good. He looked like a starting NFL cornerback to me. So it just was a matter of circumstance that he lost that on that job and now is looking to, to find some, some more chance to play with the Raiders. Um, if he can play to the level that he played here, I think he's still got plenty to show. Were you a little surprised at all that he wasn't that nobody made a trade for him? Because he was a guy that I talked about before the trade deadline. Like, hey, maybe you know you can give up a late round draft pick. Obviously, the Raiders didn't have to give up anything because he was released. But were you surprised that there was no takers at the trade deadline for him? Maybe a little bit. I mean, he was the one guy that felt like the most tradable asset that Seattle had to potentially get another draft pick with. I know he had a little bit of a contract that uh, might have been prohibitive mm. to a team wanting to come in and get him, knowing that Seattle was basically calling around saying, hey, you interested sort of thing. They still would have thought, well, maybe he gets released if it gets beyond the trade deadline, and obviously he was. So it's, it's that kind of, you know, that game of chess that the GMs play, wondering, like, well, if they're calling me about him, they might release him anyway, and then I'll have a chance to get it. You know, it's, right. it's, it's, it's all a, you know, a whack-a-mole game for them trying to figure out how it's all going to happen and play <laughs> out. So I think that's kind of just the way it happened. I wouldn't have been shocked if he'd gotten traded, but, um, you know, he, he just didn't have a spot here anymore. Curtis Crabtree is our guest here on Radio Nation Radio 920 Unnecessary Roughness. You can find Curtis on Fox 13 Seattle, also Sports Radio KJR. Does a fantastic job. Tariq Woolen, I wanted to ask you about him because, man, I was high on him coming out of UTSA. I thought he was going to be a hell of a player, and so far he has. What have you seen from Tariq? And obviously he, uh, he stole a spot, or not stole a spot, but earned a spot, and he's not giving it back. He is the most athletically gifted secondary player I have ever seen. Wow. Like his physical tools are absurd. Go watch the Taysom Hill touchdown run from their game about four weeks ago, and Hill's running through the secondary, and he runs him down from behind. Doesn't make the tackle at the end, but the speed he has is absurd. Like if you think back to the DK Metcalf running down Buda Baker on the interception here from a couple of years ago, it's every bit of that, maybe a little bit more. Like with his physical tools of running a four-two-six in the forty at the combine, being six foot four, having the long arms that he has. He's got every physical tool for that position you could ever hope for. And it felt like in a similar vein to what Richard Sherman was when he was here mm. in, in, in 2011 to where, like, now, not the same player physically because Sherman would die to have the tools that, uh, to recap. Right. But you felt like once Sher- when you saw Sherman get a hold of that starting job, it was like he was never going to give it back. Because of how raw a prospect he was, you didn't know if he was going to be able to jump up and do things this quickly, but it looked like if he ever figured it out, he'd never give it back. He figured it out real quick. Like to where yesterday, I think DeAndre Hopkins was targeted one time when Wollen was in coverage of him, and he broke up the pass like it was nothing. Like um, he, he is such a physically gifted player. He's still got things to learn at the NFL level, but like he's working from ahead of the game because of how much athleticism he has. It gives him a lot of... A lot of room for error because he's got so much ability to make up for it. Again, we're talking with Curtis Crabtree here on Radio Nation Radio 920 on the Sarah Roughness. My man DeMond's got one for you. 
You mentioned how Sidney Jones, how he basically he lost his position of good. Tariq Woolen's been playing Michael Jackson. How good has that secondary as a whole been for the Seahawks defense for them to say, hey, we're just going to get rid of a guy? Is this defense outperforming the expectations that were already set for him in the offseason? They have been, especially over the last four weeks. They were really slow out of the gate over the first five weeks. They made a change to how they were running things with their front five, uh, front seven and their, their scheme up front. They stopped playing two-gapping and got to more of an attacking one-gap sort of philosophy. And everything's filled together after that, and it's really paired well with the way that they're playing on the back end. Michael Jackson's was really solid, particularly the last couple games. Quandry Diggs is a fantastic free safety to have in the back end. And Ryan Neal has stepped into a very nice role for them, um, kind of filling the Jamal Adams shoes in every form and fashion where they drop him down into the box to play um, kind of like a linebacker-level sort of player and have Josh Jones come on as an extra safety for them in, in certain looks, and, and that's play, played really well for them. Ryan's played fantastic at that safety spot for them since he's kind of gotten up to speed from an injury he had early in the year as well. And so, yeah, it just ended up to where Jackson and Woolen have solidified the, the outside corner spots. Another rookie, Kobe Bryant, has really played, come along well for them. It's the nickel spot. He's got four forced fumbles on the year. Uh, almost had another yesterday if it wasn't overruled for them. Almost had a pick yesterday. That was overruled because of a penalty for him as well. Um, Artie Burns is a former first-round pick, and he can't get on the field for them at corner right now. So, wow. um, And Justin Coleman was a really solid starting slot guy for them several years back before he left for Detroit. Now he can't get on the field on defense either. So it's a very solid group. Maybe not like Legion of Boom era sort of talent, because those guys were absurd in, in just about every player on that, on that group. But this group was playing very good football on the back end. Oh man, you mentioned Kobe Bryant. Yeah, and Tariq That's Woolen. Guy. That was another guy that I mentioned. That was another guy I was high on coming out of the draft. <laughs> Just saying. They've got the secondary that Q would have drafted. Yep. But also, when it comes to this Seattle team, I remember back in the day, Legion of Boom, heavy cover three. I know that that's not the way that they're leaning towards now, but what's the coverage that the Seahawks team is running now that maybe Sidney Jones just isn't equipped or not the type of player that they would have wanted? Uh, they are playing more too high coverages now to where, you know, they're asking their corners to squat a little bit more. Um, you need to be better at tackling up near the line of scrimmage if you're going to play those those cloud coverage, you know, down near the line of scrimmage areas on the outside of the defense. Michael Jackson is really good in that area. I think Tariq Woolen's learning it a little bit more. And I, I think that's one of the reasons why they like Michael Jackson in that role, because he is such a good tackler on the edge in, in that regard. So, um I don't think it's a massive slight against Sydney that they released him. I think it's just a matter of circumstance that he lost his job and they've got other depth coming. Um, Trey Brown's in his second year, and if he's able to get up to speed and look any bit like he did during the games he started last year, they've got another guy to play that left side that they really like coming back, and they have to find a roster spot somewhere. So he just got squeezed out of the, the, the way that they're going right now. And the way they're playing defensively, I don't remember, I don't know where they're at after yesterday's game, but in the prior three games, defensively, they had the top DVOA in the league defensively over that three-game stretch um, against Arizona, Los Angeles, and the Giants. They're playing really good football on defense right now. I mean, the whole team's playing good. They're a legit contender right now with the way they're playing across the board. And uh, the way that they've come along, Sydney just got squeezed out. Yeah, that sounds like it. And, of course, uh, now the Raiders have an opportunity to maybe move forward with him and see what he can bring to the table. And, Curtis, before we let you go, I want to ask you one more question. Uh, the Raiders have only won two games this year. One was against Denver. Obviously, Russell Wilson is the quarterback there. I didn't think that we'd ever have a conversation where it's like Geno Smith is outplaying Russell Wilson, but 
How much did you kind of see this coming before Russell Wilson was traded, or did you? Is this kind of a surprise to you as well? In, it, it, to the degree, yes. Like I, I thought Geno Smith would be fine for them. I didn't expect this. I didn't expect things to go well for Russell Wilson in Denver. I didn't expect this. Like It's been a dumpster fire for them in Denver with everything that's gone, with the draft picks that they traded to get him as poorly as he's played. The thing that I'd point to is last year, Russell completed was completing less than 50% of his passes on third down for a large chunk of the season. There are aspects of his game that he doesn't excel in. Um, he's not good throwing over the middle of the field. He wants to take deep shots down the field, which are lower percentage passes that look great when you complete them, not so much when you don't. Um, teams, I think, have figured out that now that he's not running anymore, you don't need that extra safety down in the box so you can play them too high and and sit back in those shell coverages to cover the deep throws that he wants to get to so much. There are holes in his game that I think people have started to figure out. And you can see the contrast by the way that Geno Smith is playing because he is taking the throws underneath that defenses are giving up. He's playing within the structure of the offense that Russell Wilson didn't. And it's just kind of like a perfect mirror on the areas that Russell had lacked in. But I was not expecting him to be nearly as bad as this, and I wasn't expecting Gino to be nearly as good as this. But um, I'm not completely shocked that it hasn't gone well for him in Denver. The fact he had a first-year head coach, first-year offense coordinator with a, with a quarterback who believes everything he does is, is right and that he's really, really good. I'm not surprised that it's gone a little sideways. To the degree it has, absolutely, though. You know, and it sounds like the, the players in the locker room like uh, Gino a lot more than they were uh, fans of Russell Wilson. Is that kind of safe to say? I, I think there is definitely some of that, yes, particularly when they're seeing now the way the offense should work through Gino and the way that he's playing and all of those sorts of things. Like for Russell to come out, what was it, two years ago and say, I'm tired of getting hit and, up. It hit and all those sort of things and throw his offensive line under the bus and have his agent behind the scenes saying that, Pete's holding Russell back, and they're not letting him cook, and they're not, you know, they're, it's all these things. Basically, I would equate it like this. Russell believes he is as good as any quarterback in the league and wants to be among the historical greats. When he believes he's that good, it can't possibly be his fault that things are going awry. It has to be somebody else's fault. It has to be the offense isn't good enough for him. The coach isn't doing enough for him. He doesn't have enough playmakers around him. They're not protecting him well enough. It can't be his fault because he's too good for that. Right. So, like, that's the, the, the mindset he comes from. Well, maybe that's not the case. <laughs> and there's other things that go into that equation. And I think that's kind of what you're seeing here, is that when Russell, like, when he's throwing his offensive line under the bus and all these sorts of things, it's like, well, get rid of the ball then, Russell. Throw on time to your receivers, Russell. Like, you remember the game a couple weeks ago, they showed the clip of the wide receiver wide open right over the middle of the field. He never sees him, never throws it to him. There's instances like that that happen all the time through the years for Seattle where he doesn't see open receivers, would hold the ball too long, and then he's getting hit and blaming it in his offensive line. Well, Russell, get rid of the ball. And so there's, <laughs> I think all of this kind of goes hand-in-hand hand to where things frayed away from him. And I think the most, the play that you can point to that says, this is where things ended to me, was in the Chicago game last year. They had a third and two or three from the Chicago eight, up seven points with eight minutes to go. Throw the ball in the stands if you have to. Just get the short chip shot field goal. You're going to win the game. Russell tries to make a play. He spins back, takes a 13-yard sack. They miss the field goal. Bears go down. Touchdown, two-point conversion. They lose the game. Afterwards, Pete's like, Russell's got to throw that ball in the stands. 
Russell was like, I thought it was time to make a play. Those guys were not seeing things the same way anymore. And it was it, so that that's why it wasn't a huge shock when at the end of the year they traded him and found a partner in Denver to get rid of him and move on and turn the page. Wow, and Denver's they're they're left holding the bag right now, wondering what in the world's going on with one Russell Wilson. Well, Curtis, fantastic stuff, man. Great insight on not only uh, Sidney Jones, but also the young secondary there in Seattle and a little behind the scenes on Russell Wilson. And the Raiders will be headed your way pretty soon, a couple weeks from now. So uh, thank you so much for your time this afternoon. I will be reaching out to you in a couple weeks to talk a little Raiders and Seattle Seahawks, if you don't mind. Sounds good. I'm around. Thanks, Curtis. Appreciate you, my man. There he goes. Fantastic stuff right there. Curtis Crabtree, Fox 13 Seattle, Sports Radio KJR, on Twitter, at Curtis underscore Crabtree. Brought the heat right there. Brought the heat. And, again, as I mentioned at the top of the show, I think Sidney Jones is going to be okay. I don't think he's, uh, you know, he's like I said, he's not Jalen Ramsey. You know, he's not the, the next cover, coming to Namdi or anything. He's not Richard Sherman. But, I mean, he's another guy that will go out there and compete. And right now the Raiders need guys that can compete in that secondary. Right? And, man, oh, man, I Demond, I'm not very right when it comes to, you know, the draft picks. I, I – I, I pick the guys that I like. I do. You know me. I pick the guys that I like. I stick with them. I tell you why I like them. And, man, those are two guys that I hit on. I, I don't I – don't Take your lap. Horn. Take your lap. I don't take my lap very often. You know I don't, man. But those were two guys that I mentioned all summer long, right? Tariq Woolen and Kobe Bryant. And Kobe Bryant had so much attention thrown his way because Sauce Gardner was killing it in Cincinnati. So Kobe Bryant, all the – all the balls were going his way, and he was holding his own. And so that's why I thought he was going to be a good one as well. And sure enough, man, they, they, they found them some guys there in Seattle. Think about this, too. Not to mention, they got some really cool names there in Seattle, right? You got Kobe Bryant, you got Michael Jackson, and you got Tariq Woolen. It don't get too much better than that, right? I mean, seriously, like, you want to talk about it. They ain't got to be the Legion of Boom, but they got the Legion of hell of a names, right? <laughs> Their Yo, names are great. They stand out. No doubt. But no also, doubt. you mentioned Sauce. I know that obviously the Raiders and weren't going to be able to get yeah, him. Yeah, Sauce was my guy, But too. defensive rookie of the year already. No, not I'm even close. It. Not even close. Yeah, no doubt. No doubt. That dude's a star. And the one thing about the Jets, man, they find ways to get stars in the secondary, right? I mean, this dude might be, and I don't want to put too much on him because, you know, Darrell Rivas had a hell of a career. And he might be damn near as good as Darrell Rivas was. I mean, he's got a long way to go before you can put that label on him. But, man, the early returns on him are fantastic. And that was another one of my guys. Know, real quick, and to bring it back to the Raiders, we saw during the trade deadline how people like, hey, you get traded and you're starting or, or at least playing and being productive yep. the, the, like the following sa- uh, Sunday. Do you think that Sydney's going to be able to suit up Sunday for the Raiders? Um, I would think so. You know, as long as, I mean, he passes physical, physical and all that good stuff. He yes. passes physical. I mean, look, the one thing about, I mean, he's a corner, right? I mean, there's certain things that, that they're going to ask him to do and certain things that they probably won't ask him to do, but... Uh, I'll tell you this, Anthony Averett has not played very well, right? And I know he's coming back from being on IR, but that's the reason why a guy like Sidney Jones is probably going to be needed to step up. So I would have no problem to see him part of a rotation like we talked with Ed. You know, I'm not saying that Sidney Jones is a starter and he's going to play every snap. Probably is not going to be able to do that. But if you put him in there part of a healthy rotation, I wouldn't have no problem with that. I mean, I think the guy could play. Again, he's not the Sidney Jones he was when he was at UW. Man, he was fantastic. That secondary was great. You see, hear those names he rattled off? Buda Baker, remember him? Mm-hmm. Byron Murphy. I mean, those guys went to the college football playoffs. Think about that. They went to the CH, the CFP. They lost, but they went right. They had man, they had a squad there, and then offensively, they had John Ross. 
he fell off the off the the, the planet too. I mean, oh, but he was fast. He was man, yeah. He, <laughs> but he was a damn good receiver when he was at UW too. I mean, he was a really good wide receiver. He got to the league, man. He got injured and he was never able to perform in Cincinnati. And I don't even know where he's at now. I mean, honestly, like, and I I usually know where these cats are at. I don't even know where John Ross is at, if anywhere. But he sure had the speed, and uh, that they had they had a fun squad, man. That 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 University of Washington. We'll have to ask uh, Lincoln about them tomorrow when he joins the show. Coming up at four o'clock, as a matter of fact, three twenty-three is the time. We're here at the Underground Lounge. You got the? Did you got the update already? I know you're Johnny on the spot. You got the update? He is nowhere. That's what I thought. John Ross, nowhere, man. That was quick, fast, and in a hurry, wasn't it? The dude ran so fast that they were trying to. Adidas was trying to give him an island right at the at, at the combine. They were trying to give him an island. He was like, "I'm good. I don't need my own island." Homeboy's probably on that island right now. <laughs> he should have took that island. <laughs> If things don't work out, man, I'm going to go sit on my island and kick it. Have some Mai Tais. Have some Mai Tais and, and chill. I would have just, if I was him and I was going to get that island, I'd have been like, look, these are the few things that I need to have, my accommodations I need to have. I'll take my island, but I got to have at least one friend, right? At least one friend. Just, just, just a friend. Hold on, technicality. He's under contract with the Giants, but has not played this year. Oh, so he's in the league. Yes. So how's that a technicality? He's in the league. You said he was nowhere. You told me he was on the island. Okay, well, he's that, on- take, that takes my whole story back. Now he's not on the island. He ain't with a friend. He's not drinking Mai Tais. He might as well be. He just can't get on the field. <laughs> I, think, I don't know. <laughs> hey, man. The, the Giants got some good things going, so maybe uh, they're, they're rolling with what they got. So there's that. 324 is the time. Thank you, DeMond, for that. Underground Lounge is where we're at inside the Oyo Hotel and Casino. We're here every single Monday night for Monday Night Football. Tonight, we got the Ravens and Saints squaring up to close out week nine of the NFL season. When we come back, we'll hear from head coach Joshua Daniels. He talked at the Intermountain Healthcare Performance Center, uh, had a couple good answers, and we'll get to him next here on Radio Nation Radio 920. Now back to Unnecessary Roughness with your boy Q on Raider Nation Radio. We're at the Oyo Hotel and Casino Underground Lounge for Monday Night Football. We're here every single Monday night. We got some folks sitting around the bar. We got some ladies sitting around trying to hook up some prizes. All you got to do is come on by. We got tickets. We got T-shirts. We got the IPA, the hazy IPA, the official IPA of the Raiders. Got some Modelo towels that are some really cool looking towels in the I look at these towels, and I'm not too sure what I do because they're not that big, but they're pretty cool. They got that good feeling as the Black Eyed Peas are on right now. <laughs> that was I did not do that on purpose. <laughs> right, when, right when they said I got that feeling, I said they got a good feeling. That was totally accidental. Maybe that was subliminal. Maybe they did that to my mind. But, uh, yeah, come on by, get hooked up with one of these uh, or plenty of these prizes that we have because we do have them for you, and we're going to take care of you. 702-365-9200. We want to hear from you on the Radio Nation listener line. Also, the text line is 69187, keyword R&R. In a few minutes, we'll hear from head coach Josh McDaniels. We met with him earlier today at the Intermountain Healthcare Performance Center, his normal Monday session. So, Really just asking with what the Raiders have right now, this is where it's really difficult. You know what they have and what they don't have. You know the highlights and you know the lowlights. And obviously when you've lost three games and you had a 17-point lead in those three games, those are the lowlights. We, we, we know that. And, and when, the, when CBS Sports comes out with the stat that says and shows you that uh, you know, they've only lost a 17-point lead five times since 1960, between six, 1960 and 2021, and then three times already through eight games, that's one of those that's like kick you when you're down, right? I mean, that's already a uh, damn, man. That's, that's, maybe I didn't need to read that, right? So that's one of those that you don't, you're not a big fan of seeing, but it's there. It's right there in front of you. So uh, we know what they have to work with, and we know that they have nine games left. So 
I've called it evaluation season for everybody. Everybody. I don't think anyone's exempt from evaluation season, as they shouldn't be. Nobody has done anything great enough to be exempt from that. So at this point, in this stage of the game, what can the Raiders as an organization, as a team, as a coaching staff, and as players, what can they do to kind of stop the bleeding? At least, you know, at least slow it down a little bit because right now, you know, they're bleeding out. So we want to hear from you at 702-365-9200. Again, 69187, keyword R&R. Let's talk to our friend quick. Welcome to the show. What's on your mind, brother? Duval. What's up, dog? What's going on, man? How you feeling? Oh, you got it. I'm good. Yeah, I'm chilling, man. So I don't really know what they can do. It's two or six season. You know, I would start with Patrick Graham. We have to show some type of gall and either get rid of this dude or let him know that his, you know, Something is on the line because every single week we got people looking like Dan Marino out there, right. Trevor Lawrence. Yeah, you know, I mean, Davis Mills having a best game against us and stuff like that. Right. But I, I, my thing is, I take task with Raider Nation to be honest with you for taking the cheese this off season because they knew doggone well that this team barely limped into the playoffs last season. And everybody was screaming playoffs again, and Super Bowl is, and we're better than the Chiefs, and all of this talk. But it just wasn't true. Look at the roster. It tells right. you everything you need to know. We haven't solidified the old line in nine weeks. Right. The thing is a sieve. I, look, I'm the biggest car hater in the world. But my man is going to get a pass until that offensive line is, is solidified. He don't deserve one. He a bomb. But, you know, he's going to get one. Right. So that is what it is. Patrick Graham, my man, I got to take you to task, brother. You are horrible. And anybody saying that he was head coaching material needs to get on this show and admit it. And Raider Nation, I'm taking you to task because you knew you lied. My bad. <laughs> my, my, my bad, quick. I said, I said it. I said it. <laughs> but I can own it. I don't mind owning it, though. Respect, I don't mind owning man. it. Respect, bro. That's all it's about for me, man. Like, like just follow your eyes, Raider Nation. Follow your eyes. This team was not a very good playoff team last season. And we have the same limited quarterback with limited abilities that continues to limit this team. There's no change. There was nothing to be to hang our hat on this season going in. We got bus draft picks like Gerald and Abram still playing too much. I mean, this wasn't the playoff team. Two ball. I'm out, man. Appreciate you, bro. Hey, thanks for the call, man. I appreciate you. And, yeah, I mean, look, you know, you're talking about uh, taking the cheese, man. Look, I, I, I took the cheese. I, I'll be the first to admit it. You know, I thought – with the additions that they made, this team was going to be a lot better. And I also believe that the addition of Josh McDaniels and his play calling was really going to help out. And obviously that hasn't come to fruition just yet, right? Obviously they're sitting there at 2-6 and six and they've got a lot to prove. Everyone's got a lot to prove. But I have no problem coming out and saying that I could be wrong about anything and was wrong about, you know, my expectations. I was, I was one. And, you know, Patrick Graham, I know he interviewed for multiple head coaching jobs, including the job with the Giants that ended up going to Brian Dayball, and he didn't get it. And so I uh, thought that the Raiders were lucky to get him as defensive coordinator. And, you know, I think one of the, the things is, and I, I know everyone on the staff knows that they're all under evaluation. They're all, you know, being judged on what they're doing and what their units are doing, their respective units are doing. Uh, I think he knows that for sure. And the one thing I, you know, and I've talked about the defense a lot is, is it just the fact that they don't have the guys to do what he wants to do? And if that's the case, because that could be the case, but if that's the case, then you have to fix what you're doing to fit what you do have. Like you have, I mean, that's just what you have to do. Look, I don't have the means to go out and buy what I want, 
<laughs> right? I mean, if I, had, if I had the means to go buy what I want, then it would be a different ball game. but I don't. So I have to, you know, do what I have and, and, and make it work. You know what they say on Friday? Hey, this ain't enough. Make it enough. <laughs> make it enough, right? So, I mean, it's just what, it's just what he's got to do. He's got to figure out a way to make what he has work to the best of their ability. It might not be exactly how it, he has it drawn up or how he wants it to look, but it's got to be it's got to be better than what it's been because right now, uh, like you said, quick, all the quarterbacks that they're playing have looked fantastic, just looked fantastic. I mean, they don't look like they've been struggling at all, and of course, lack of lack of pressure is also you know some, it's a recurring theme that we've said for so many years, so many years. Lack of pressure, lack of pressure, lack of pressure it just is not there, and. You know, I can always go back to Max Crosby is busting his tail. I know he's out there working so hard to get home, and he's doing everything he can against the run as well. He just doesn't have any help. And that's, that's an issue that they've got to be able to correct. And that's obviously, in my opinion, something that cannot be corrected until after the offseason. I think this going into this offseason, and I don't want to talk about the offseason right now, but going into the offseason, it's got to be a 100% emphasis on the offensive line and the defense. Straight up. Offensive line and defense. And whatever else they're able to get is gravy. But that's that's where I'm at. Shields up. You're up next. What's on your mind, brother? Q, how we doing, man? I'm blessed. How are you? Good. Thank you, man. Everything has been said, man. Your previous caller laid it out. What I was going to say, your commentary was, was spot on, man. Um, the thing is this, is that Patrick Graham um, does not have the tools. I, I criticize them heavily in conversations with other Raider fans that I know. And um, the thing is, what you, what you said before was spot on. How come are we giving up a score before the first half? We're up mm-hmm. big in the first half, and somehow they, the, the, the opposing team gets the ball, drives down, and scores. I don't understand it. Now, is it an issue of, like you said before, did we sacrifice the one and two picks to get Adams? Those one and two picks could have given Graham the tools that he needs. So did we sacrifice the offense? I'm sorry, did we sacrifice the defense right. to get Adams? Are we one year away? I know what you're saying, man. His, I'm not, I, I, can't, I can't doubt his scheme, like you're saying, because he really doesn't have the tools. Now, some of this is on Ziegler. The acquisitions of Everett and Jones are not panning out, man. Right. Yep. Again. What could we have done with that number one and number two? Thank you for taking my call, man. And Raider Nation, Shields up. There he goes. Let's go, man. Let's go. There he goes. Shields up. Great call, man. Great call. Do appreciate it. And, yeah, I mean, that's always going to be, I guess, the, you know, the big question, right? They went out and and made the move for Adams, and I love the move for Adams. I thought it was giving Derek Carr – I know it was giving Derek Carr the best weapon he's had since he's been in the league. And it's panned out to a certain extent. I don't know if it's been – well, I know it hasn't been as – great as I thought it was going to be, but you know, you saw flashes of it on Sunday, right? You saw all of a sudden, man, this dude uh, could be a, a dominant force. And he, he said it following the first game uh, against the Chargers in L.A. He said it in the locker room when someone, I forget who asked him, like, were you surprised that the ball came to you so much? And he said, no, I'm a volume receiver. Like, that's what I expect. I mean, that's, that's what he said after game one. So, you know, to see him get 17 targets like he did on, uh, on Sunday was not a surprise. It's just the fact that he didn't get a whole bunch of targets and he wasn't connecting. They weren't connecting in the second half was was really surprising to me. But, uh, again, like Josh McDaniel said earlier today, he wants to try to get 
uh, you know, as much balance as possible on, on offense, which makes a lot of sense. Uh, Damon, you want to get one more call in real quick? All right. Is this cash? Are we? Is this cashing? Ox cash. All right. That's a special kind of cash. Uh, calling from here in Vegas. What's on your mind, Ox? What up, Q? Chilling. Uh, good to be on the line with you finally. I've been listening to this radio station for a long time. This is my first time calling. Nice. New um, some, something has to be said about Derek Carr's leadership or lack thereof on the sideline. I mean, I've been following this guy's career throughout his whole time with the Raiders. I always love this play. I have no problem with that. But his leadership is what I'm questioning. Time after time, I see him kind of throwing his arms up when the receivers are not running the right route or doing the eye roll like Aaron Rodgers does. But you know what I don't never see? I don't never see him talking to that receiver on the sideline, going over what happened during that play, um, talking about what he wanted that receiver to do. Maybe go left, do a hook, right. go for the go. I've never seen him do that. And I think that's a lack of leadership. So why are you going to throw your arms up and roll your eyes to these receivers? But when you get to the sideline, nothing, there's no conversation between you guys. And the other thing that ticked me off this last game was when he missed that pass to Abdullah, they showed a cut of him in the sideline with Matt laughing his butt off, just laughing and laughing and laughing. And you could kind of read a lip and saying, telling, um, Mac that he overthrew him or underthrew him. And he was just kind of smiling and chuckling it off. It really ticked me off, man. I, that's unacceptable. I mean, we've heard the stories that Derek Carr is a great leadership a leader, but I haven't seen it on the sidelines, and I got a big problem with that. Good stuff, man. Good call. And, and look, that's one thing that you don't see. I, I, can, I can 100% admit that. You don't see him going up and down the sideline talking to everybody. Now, with that being said, I don't see him on the sideline all the time. I mean, I see what the TV shows or if I'm at the game, what I can see from the press box. So I'm not on the sideline with them, but uh, we, don't see, we don't see a lot of that like you see with other quarterbacks, right? You know, you see obviously Tom Brady is going to be the best example. He's the guy that's going up and down the, the sideline yelling at his guys, you know, throwing tablets and telling his offensive line to step up. And, you know, that's just not, that's just not in Derek Carr's DNA. He's not that, that guy. Uh, that's the kind of guy that, that I like. I mean, I really am. I mean, and that's kind of the guy that uh, I try to make myself be is the guy that's going to keep trying to push everyone to, to be better and even be better than what they're doing at the time. That's just, that's just who I am. But I know everyone is not cut the same. So, yeah, I, I, I can see that. And, you know, I did see the, the chuckling on the sideline, you know, and um, that, that pass to Abdullah, it would have been a great pass. It was just, I mean, I looked at it so many different times, and I was like, yeah, it was definitely an underthrow, obviously. But, man, that was going to be such a difficult pass to be able to get it over, you know, the linebacker with uh, Abdullah's size, you know, to try to drop that into the bucket. And so I, it was a hell of a design. It could have been an easy touchdown if the, if the tough throw was made. So I guess it wasn't going to be easy. But it was going to be a, a really good throw, and it just, he, he just missed it. And I'll say this, later in the game, um, late in the game, matter of fact, when the Raiders had the ball, I believe it was the second time or the first time that they had the ball with the opportunity to go down and win right after – uh, right after they, uh, the, the Jaguars missed that, that 41-yard field goal or whatever it was, they bounced it off the upright. Um, man, if Carr looks the other way and sees Hollins, and Hollins was streaking down the sideline all by himself. He was as open as Devontae Adams, and I think he checked it down to Abdullah. So that was unfortunate, but that's just sometimes it happens. Guys, guys are streaking down. It's easy for me to see on a replay. <laughs> you know, it's a lot easier for me to see on a replay than, than when, you know, there's the live bullets and guys are coming at you and trying to take your head off. So... Oh, those kind of things happen. 3.42 is the time. Underground Lounge is the spot inside the Oyo Hotel and Casino. Thank you, Shields Up. Thank you, Quick, for your calls. When we come back, head coach Josh McDaniels will hear from him next. It's Radio Nation Radio 920. 
Now back to Unnecessary Roughness with your boy Q. The Underground Lounge inside the Oyo Hotel and Casinos where we're at. I'm looking at one of these TVs right now, and College Hoops is on. Of course, UNLV is in action, the women and the men tonight. College Hoops is back. That's awesome. That is really cool. So right now I'm watching uh, 22nd ranked Michigan beating up on Purdue 20 or 19 to 8. So that's obviously in the early goings. But yeah, just to see college hoops back, that's great. But we're here for Monday Night Football. We're here every single Monday night. Tonight it's the Ravens and Saints. You can see them on the big screens. All we need is you to come on by, have some great food and drink specials, and enjoy some uh, Monday Night Football action as Week Nine gets wrapped up. We'll get back to calls and texts in just a little bit, but I do want you to hear a couple sound bites from head coach Josh McDaniels. He met with the media earlier today at the Intermountain Healthcare Performance Center and just simply started things off with, after looking at the film, what he thought about the game in general. Um, you know, obviously I got off to a good start. I uh, thought we were trying to play the game the way we wanted to play the game, and then um, I think the, the biggest swing in the game uh, was kind of from the the two-minute drive they had at the end of the second quarter, um, you know, then starting the third quarter with the big kickoff return, uh, scored on that drive, and then we had the ball, I think, I want to say for five plays or so offensively, punted it back there to them, and then they drove again. So, you know, I think it's an example of how quickly games will change in this league, you know, go from 20 to 7, uh, where we're driving the ball at the end of the second quarter to try to, you know, see if we can make it a three-score game to all of a sudden we run five plays offensively and we're behind, you know, uh, against a team that has an explosive group on all three phases. So, um, you know, uh, tired of talking about this a lot on Mondays, but uh, it is what it is. So we'll try to learn the hard lessons again today and see if we can't, you know, make some progress. The one thing that we did here today multiple times is that as he should be, but he is so frustrated with losing right now. You could tell that by what he says, he's very frustrated with losing, as he should be. That's a good thing. You know, hopefully it changes the results of what we see on the field uh, moving forward, you know, but uh, hopefully the players are tired. Tired. Hopefully all the coordinators are tired of losing games and, and answering questions about what the hell happened, including second-half collapses. But, you know, you heard him talk about that, that field goal at the end of the second quarter. Uh, we talked about it on the show today. Thought that that was massive. Thought about that, uh, that quick turnaround that all of a sudden they get the ball to start the third quarter and they have a huge kickoff return again that can't happen if you want to be mad about something be mad about those damn kickoff returns the kick coverage team is not good i don't know what it is but they're not good so until further notice if i'm the co- the the offense or the uh, special teams coach i'm telling carlson you've got to kick the ball out of the end zone why are you mess around why even set them up because it more often than not they're not able to, to stop them from have, having a big return, and it sets them up. 52 yards was the, the kickoff return to start the second half. Once they passed midfield, I was like, oh, man, that's, that's a wrap. They're going to go right down the field and score because nothing the defense had done had shown me that they were going to stop them, and now you're giving them a short field too? Come on. Got to stop doing that. that. That kick coverage, for some reason, that unit is not good this year, and it hasn't been. And that's something that's got to be addressed because I know everyone talks offense and defense, but special teams is the third phase of the game that cannot be ignored. And the Raiders have a really good special teams unit when you look at Trent Sieg, Daniel Carlson, and A.J. Cole. But the coverage team and the return team, they haven't returned. The stat was in the game. They said it in the game. The Raiders hadn't returned a kick. I can't remember the last time the Raiders. Jacoby Ford, that's who it was. I do remember, actually. Jacoby Ford was the last time a Raider returned a kick for a touchdown on a kickoff, 
I know on the punt it was um, what was his name? Uh, old school cat. What was his name? Dwayne. Dwayne Harris. Wasn't it Dwayne Harris when he, he returned that uh, that punt in in Oakland? against, uh, I want to say, Denver, and it was the one where nobody knew what was going on. He grabbed the ball at the one-yard line and took it 99 yards. That was uh, the OG, Dwayne Harris. That was the last time a punt return was returned, but a kickoff return, it was Jacoby Ford. That was 2018 for Dwayne Harris. Yeah, there you go, but but Jacoby Ford was how long ago? 2012? 2014? It's been a long time, brother. (laughs) That's what I do know. I don't know exactly what year it is, but I know it's been a very long time. I remember that game. I was in Texas when that happened. As a matter of fact, I was bootlegging the game, watching it on uh, the internet at the radio station I was working at at the time. 2011. Boom. There it is. I got the Texas 2010. <laughs> so there you go. <laughs> that lets you know. So obviously one of the questions that he has to ask and answer each and every week is about the second half collapses because now it's happened three times. They've, they've lost a 17-point lead. So how do they keep happening and why do they keep happening? How do they correct that? Um, I think there's an element of that. I think that's not just one thing. Um, I think at the end of the day, uh, the games, we've learned that the games can switch quickly. They can, um, you know, and, and we've, we've been on the wrong end of that so far, but, um, those things can shift around pretty quickly if you don't do a lot of the right things, you know, and with the Kansas city game was very similar to the one yesterday where we had a lead and then all of a sudden, you know, we kind of lost the momentum of the game and then, score at the end of the second quarter, score at the beginning of the third quarter, and then, you know, before you know it, the game's an entirely different game, which is not abnormal to the National Football League. It happens. Um, You know, what we need to do in that situation is be able to respond uh, and stem the tide and go regain the momentum for ourselves with doing our job, you know. I think the the end result of trying to switch – you know, if the tide has been turned against us a little bit because another team's kind of going on a run, so to speak, we have to be able to go out there and play good football, whatever phase we're out there on, you know, punt team, offense, defense, kickoff return, whatever it is, got to be able to go out there and execute well together. And that's the only way to do it. It's not going to be look to one player or call one play or one defense and have it magically stop. You know, this is a result of – the collective efforts of 11 guys on every play doing the right thing. And if you do it the right way, then you'll stem the tie because you'll make good plays. And, and again, like I said, we've done it before. We can do it again. Um, we need to learn how to do it longer uh, and in more difficult situations, you know, when, when we don't have the momentum. And I think he said at the end there, and it must have got cut off, and the coaches as well. So he didn't just say the players. He also brought in the coaches that, hey, we need to do it more consistently um, throughout the, the, the whole game as well uh, to not have those uh, second-half collapses like they've had. And, again, that's just one of those that if you're a player, you've got to be so frustrated because you feel like, hey, this is we're rolling in the right direction. We're doing everything that we need to do. Our game plan that we worked on all week is working. And then all of a sudden, boom, boom, boom. And that is the NFL. I mean, we could sit there. We could take our favorite team out of it, right? We could do that, and we can watch – uh, the NFL all weekend long, and we're going to see multiple games that are going to all of a sudden you're looking up and the team is whooping the team, and you're going to look up and the team is going to be, what's up, Doc? You're going to see a team that's like, hey, wait, they're holding on to dear, dear life. I mean, it's just it's so crazy, but that's the NFL in a nutshell. And so hopefully uh, the Raiders are able to figure that out and stop from having those second-half collapses. When we come back, we'll kick off our number three of the show. We'll hear from Devontae Adams in the Raiders locker room following the game. It's very rare. Very rare that you get more than three or four minutes 
from a player in a locker room. If you get three or four minutes, usually I, I call it like audio gold, right? To have that much time in the radio in a, in a locker room, I think that's great uh, with one player. This is almost nine minutes with Devontae Adams. It's fantastic stuff. You'll hear that next, plus hear some more from head coach Josh McDaniels as we kick off hour number three of the show, Unnecessary Roughness, live from the Oyo Hotel and Casino, the Underground Lounge with Raider Nation Radio 920. Chevy trucks are known for their legendary dependability.